Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The White Zone is for immediate This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, August 1st, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. I'm Buster Olney. And I'm calling this a Baggage Claim Monday. Uh, Taylor, I know I'm not de- actually doing it from baggage claim, but this is just crazy. <laughs> like the, the travel and the things that we're doing. We had a game in San Francisco last night, took a red eye into Houston. We get the Astros and the Red Sox tonight, then flying tomorrow to uh, JFK and then driving up to Bristol because we get the trade deadline special. It's a nutty time right now. Buster, would you say you're experiencing some turbulence with your travels right now? Oh, man. <laughs> but very exciting. We'll get to uh, hang out in Bristol tomorrow. get started on that. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. all right. So we got a lot to get to today. Trade deadline coming up. We're going to be talking to Jesse Rogers with Tim Kirkchin. But let's get to what happened over the course of the weekend. On Sunday, the Giants and the Cubs played, and Carlos Rodon, one of those players being talked about in the trade market because the Giants are listening. And, man, he looked great on Sunday. Here's the 0-2. In there, got him looking. There's another strikeout. And Bodie is gone. And Carlos Rodon strikes out the side. He has struck out eight in this one. Hap waits. Here's a 1-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Ian Hap has gone on strikes for the first time today. That was Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio. I've got some intel about Carlos Rodon and a possible trade when I talk with Tim Kirkchen. Coming up here in a bit, Padres and the Twins, and it was tied bottom of the sixth inning when this happened. Here it is, and Voigt swings, kind of muscles it into shallow right field. That's going to get down for a base hit. Profar comes in to score. Padres back in front. It's three to two, and they would win three to two. That from ninety-seven point three, the fan, the Royals, and the Yankees, and the Yankees took a lead in the bottom of the seventh. shot and the Yankees lead 6-4. Yeah, that was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. So the Yankees are in good shape. They turned that lead over to their all-star closer, Clay Holmes, and this happened. The 1-2. A swing and a drive to center field. And that ball is going to be carrying. And it is out of here. Home run Salvador Perez. He puts the Royals in the lead in the top of the ninth. That was Steve Fiziak, 6'10", KCSP. The Royals win 8-6, and Aaron Boone was answering questions about the struggling Clay Holmes over the weekend. Just struggling a little bit to find his release point. Um, you know, and then, you know, it, but he's always obviously a pitch away, you know. Um, gets the lefty to start the inning, then loses the two guys, but, you know, has two strikes there with Perez and you're, you're kind of even when he's searching for it a little bit there you're, you're always one pitch away and Perez was able to elevate a sinker you don't see many righties do that against them uh if ever so probably probably didn't quite have the that bite on the sink that he normally does but um you know a really good power hitter you know caught him and just in in, in kind of one of those you're not going to see very often some other notes from over the weekend. The Angels' Mike Trout says his back is getting better, and he does expect to play uh, before the end of this year. It's official. Jacob DeGrom is set for his return on Tuesday. 
about a year and his month since his last outing of the majors. We'll see how good he is right out of the gate. We'll be talking with Tim about that. White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson was suspended three games for making contact with an umpire on Friday night. And he appealed that decision. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. The Astros and the Mariners were live when this happened at the bottom of the 10th inning. Astros looking for their sixth walk-off win, the 1-0. And that's a bouncing ball left side and against the defense, and the Astros will win it. Dubon scores. 3-2 the final in 10. Jordan Alvarez, the walk-off hit. Robert Ford, KBME, 790 AM with that call. The Astros win 3-2. Reds and Orioles. And Brandon Drury is a name being kicked around in the trade market. He came to the plate in the bottom of the eighth inning. Scored tied. Here's the 1-2 pitch. And Drury swings. Sends a high drive left field and deep. Santander is back. It is gone. Brandon Drury puts the Reds on top with a solo home run to left. And it is three to two Cincinnati. That from 700 WLW, Drury perhaps makes sense for the Dodgers, who were busy over the weekend. They traded for reliever Chris Martin. The Padres are closing in on a five-year, $100 million deal with Joe Musgrove, who theoretically could have been a free agent in the fall. The Dodgers played in Colorado yesterday, and a rookie did this in his first plate appearance in the big leagues. 1-1 pitch. Swings and hits a drive deep to right field. This one headed back to the wall and is gone. A home run. The first major league at bat for James Outman. He hits a two-run shot to give the Dodgers a 2-0 lead. Oh, how do you like that? Tim Never with that call. AM 570 LA Sports after the Dodgers 7-3 win. Outman was asked about what he's going to do with the baseball. I'm going to stare at it for a long time, and then I'm going to put it up in my childhood room. Sorry. Put it up in my childhood room and uh, next to all my other baseball stuff. I got, like, a shelf of, like, all my, like, Little League home runs and stuff like that, so that might that might top them all. But, but yeah, I think it's going to go there. Earlier this year, Paul DeYoung was sent to the minor leagues because he was really struggling with his hitting. Well, he seemed to have figured something out. He's back in the big leagues, and he's doing damage. The pitch to Paul DeYoung, a swing and a high, hard contact fly ball to center. Way back and gone! The ball lands on the batter's eye in center field for DeYoung's second home run since his return from AAA. During the course of this series, Cardinals and Nationals, there were shots of Mike Rizzo, general manager of the Nationals, and John Mazalak had a baseball operations for the Cardinals sitting together in the press box, and that led to a lot of speculation because, of course, the Cardinals are one of the teams in on Juan Soto. The Braves and the Diamondbacks were tied 0-0 when Austin Riley did this. Pitch to Riley. Fly ball, right center field, heading to the gap, back to the wall, and that's going to go all the way to the wall. Olsen racing for the plate. Here he comes. Here comes the throw. You want to walk off. You got it. one nothing Braves as they walk it off and sweep the Diamondbacks. That from 680, the fan. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, a couple things here. You're about to listen to Buster chat with Tim Kirkshin, but you can also watch that segment on ESPN's YouTube page. It shows up on there right about the time the podcast appears. So subscribe over on YouTube, ESPN's page there. Uh, also, tomorrow, trade deadline show, we're going to record it. So there's no morning show. We're going to record it in the evening 
in person. Very excited for this. Buster and I never have seen each other face to face. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Jeff Passon will be in the mix. Sarah Langs, uh, maybe a couple more surprises. Uh, as, things, as far as things to promote, ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions presents Soup with Coop. Cooper Manning's invites players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guests favorite soup when the soup is finished the conversation ends that's soup with coop listen wherever you get your podcast and finally he was the face of the new york yankees a five-time world series champion the most popular and admired player in baseball and one of the great sports superstars of any age the captain tells the story of Jared. Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career anchored by exclusive, extensive, unprecedentedly candid interviews with Jeter, along with his family and dozens of teammates, rivals and observers catch episodes five and six on Thursday, August 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and streaming on ESPN Plus. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. He's the Hall of Famer now. Tim, when you sign autographs going forward, are you going to put HOF underneath your name? No, because I'm not a Hall of Famer. That that's That's a distinction for the players now. These collectors, they're everywhere, as you know. They, they're always sending stuff to you, me, whatever. Uh, if they say, could you please do this for me, I do it for them. Otherwise, I would never do it on my own. It's pretentious, and I'm not going to do it. But I don't want to be a jerk and tell somebody who really wants this on a baseball that I'm not going to do that. So if you ask, I will. If you don't, I won't. So in the mural of your face, in your living room, you're not going to put HOF in the lower right-hand corner either? No. And I did mention somebody other than myself in my speech buster, uh, which you were questioning me on. So no, that stuff doesn't matter. It's time to move on. We have trade deadline. No more Hall of Fame. Well, we do have one thing. Taylor, you remember the, uh, the tweet we got the other day? Yeah, let me, uh, let me dig it up here. We've got someone, Tim, who broke down your some stats basically from your speech um it's gonna take me a second here to dig it up hang on everybody hang on uh got it right here all right so lewis w at elu 2718 wrote in jokes about tim kirkshin's selfishness got me thinking i counted roughly 43 shout outs by name in his hall of fame speech lasting 16 minutes and 53 seconds that's a personal thanks to a different person on an average of every 23.6 seconds in a speech that had me in stitches and in tears. What a pro. <laughs> Tim? Well, that was the hardest part of the speech to make sure that I thanked all the proper people from sports editors, people at ESPN, 
I even thank Buster, which really took a lot for me to do that. So thank you to that guy for the tail of the tape or whatever the heck that was. Seriously, all kidding aside, it was very important for me to make sure all the people that I've come across who've helped me so much in my business, including Buster, got a bit of a shout out or whatever you call it. <laughs> I appreciate it. And man, I, I, yeah, we've gotten a lot of mileage on the podcast about your <laughs> alleged selfishness. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Self-centeredness. All right, let's talk about Aaron Judge uh, because we haven't had a bunch of trades. We'll start with that. Over the weekend, he went nuts. Over the last two weeks, he's been going nuts. Timmy's on a pace for 66 homers. He's on a pace for 137 runs, 143 RBI. Uh, he's going to reach base like 260 times. Is he changing your thoughts about the American League MVP? No, he I've never changed. He's the most valuable player in the American League, period. If it started now, I would vote for him. And two months from now, I would vote for him again. He's the best player on the best team. And I love Shohei Otani. I understand he has his own category, but that's the MVP. Buster, going into yesterday, he had hit nine homers in the second half. That's more than 17 teams had hit. He has nine multi-homer games this year. No Yankee has ever had nine multi-homer games in one season. And we have two months to go. His 42nd homer was number 200 in his career. Only Ryan Howard played fewer games, needed fewer games to get to 200 homers in Major League history. He has been stunningly good. Four walk-off hits this year, having no walk-off hits coming into this season in his career. Four walk-off hits, three of them homers. He's the best player and the most valuable player in the American League for me. So the other day, uh, before our broadcast of the second game in that series between the Yankees and the Mets, I asked Aaron Boone, why are opposing teams pitching to him? I, and I asked other people in the Yankees uh, that. And, and, you know, there was a lot of talk about, well, Anthony Rizzo is a really good hitter, too. Tim, I still wonder why you would still you would pitch to him. And then on Saturday, after seeing Judge, you know, do, do his magic on Friday, the Royals walked him, walked him twice Saturday and twice on Sunday. I got to believe we're going to see more and more of that as we go along here. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Anthony Rizzo had a huge homer yesterday. He's got 25. Giancarlo Stanton is coming back, and he's a very dangerous man when he's swinging it well. But they're, I'm with you. They, he's seeing way too many pitches to hit is Aaron Judge. He's too good right now, and you have to avoid him if at all possible, and let somebody else beat you. That's how good he has been. And Buster, again, when he can play center field and he made a jumped over the outfield fence the other day to rob a homer, he's not just some big, as Buck Showalter said, some big hairy guy who hits homers. He's sitting close to 300. He's playing really good defense. He can run. There's nothing not to like about the way that guy's playing. I think the better the year that he has, you know, let's say he hits 66 homers and he wins the American League MVP uh, and you know, he continues to put these massive numbers and he has a huge postseason. I think the better the year he has, Tim, reduces the likelihood he's back with the Yankees because I think all of these uh, things that he's accomplishing now inevitably are going to inspire rival owners to take a look at him and say, I want that guy to be the face of my franchise and to have that 
you know, one or two other owners jump in and blow the Yankees offer of $213.5 million in the spring out of the water. And I don't think the Yankees, I think the Yankees will improve their offer, but I don't think they'll chase them in a big way. In other words, I, we, we heard in the spring that they were miles apart from signing Aaron judge. Uh, you know, judge certainly has made his case by betting on himself during the course of the year. If this goes to, you know, 300 North of 300 in the bidding for him in the offseason, I don't think the Yankees are going to chase him. And I think he's, uh, you know, he's going to potentially wind up with, with another team. What about you? Well, I'm confused by the whole thing. Let's say it's 66 homers and the Yankees win the World Series. How in the world do they justify not re-signing somebody who's done everything correctly through his entire Yankee term? What if he hits 66 homers and the Mets win the World Series and the Yankees get knocked out and now the Mets are the best team in Major League Baseball. How do they, the Yankees justify letting him go then? So there, I think there are two scenarios where the Yankees say, we're going to have to go over $300 million. We're going to have to overpay because um, we have to bring him back. So I think there are two distinct ways of looking at this. Your way makes all the sense in the world, and yet they're still the Yankees. And how in the world, with all their money and resources, do they allow that guy to get away? I'm confused by the whole thing. I can't wait to see what happens. All right. Not a lot of trades so far. The biggest one, I think, to this point, Luis Castillo going from the Cincinnati Reds to the Mariners. I was talking with an evaluator who was involved in the periphery in these conversations and his team had some frustration that they didn't get a lot of traction at Castillo. And then they heard the return <laughs> to the Reds of essentially, you know, three of the Mariners top five prospects in that deal. And this evaluator said, yeah, okay, that makes complete sense. I totally get why the Reds would make that trade with the Mariners. What was your take on that deal? Yeah, that was a haul a complete haul for the Reds. And in a rebuild, that's exactly what they needed to do. So I talked to an American League manager the other day who told me, um, well, the Mariners were already going to the playoffs because they're really good. Now they're definitely going to the playoffs after getting Luis Castillo. So, you know, here's a team that hasn't been there since 2001. They've had some close brushes, including last year, didn't make it. And I have an American League manager saying, well, they're in now because they got that guy. I mean, Buster, Luis Castillo has been really good lately. He's a difference maker. He can turn, you know, a non-contender maybe into a contender and maybe a contender into a champion. I'm not saying the Mariners are better than the Astros or the Yankees, but that's another element. But the only way you get better is if you overpay once in a while, and they really paid a lot for Luis Castillo. All right, the three teams that are being talked about the most around Juan Soto, the player we're all waiting to hear about, Cardinals, Padres, and Dodgers. Among those three teams, which team needs to make a deal for him the most? Well, I'm with you, Buster. I, I don't know if you still believe it. I still think the Padres need him the most. The Padres are in a fight to win a playoff spot. They didn't win a playoff spot last year. They got everyone excited. And I think you look at their lineup, even when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back, and I think they're a bat short. I think their pitching is really good, and I think they would be a beyond dangerous team if they were to get Juan Soto and go Tatis Jr., Soto, and Manny Machado for the next three postseasons. I would take my chances with that, with the pitching that they have. The Cardinals, of 
course, need Juan Soto. The question is, do they need a starting pitcher or two even more? So yep. does that get in the way of the Cardinals making a deal? And the Dodgers are 35 games over 500 right now with all sorts of things having gone wrong. I can see them saying we, we have everything it takes to get him. Look at our lineup when we put Soto in it, but I'm going to put them as third, as certainly third on someone who need a team that needs Juan Soto because they don't need much. They're that good. Yeah, I'm going to be talking with Jesse Rogers coming up here. My theory on the Dodgers is is that they're goosing the Padres. They're trying to drive up the price. <laughs> Would that make sense for you? Of, of course, those teams don't like each other. They're in the same division. The Dodgers can do whatever they want now with the money and resources they have, and they may say, let's get involved in this, and then the Padres are going to have to give up one more prospect than they want to give up, and let's make them do that. Let's make it hurt if they're going to get Juan Soto on their team. Last night, it looks like Wilson Contreras played his last game with the Cubs, uh, and he's going to get traded probably sometime on Tuesday, based on what I was told over the weekend. Uh, the teams most mentioned uh, in, in in regards to him, the Rays, the Astros, the Padres. Uh, I, when I've done radio about Contreras over the weekend, Tim, I've mentioned that, look, he's an all-star, three-time all-star. He's a terrific offensive player. But I hear this over and over and over again from interested teams or teams that have at least taken a look at him. His defense is a concern, and they worry about you know a catcher coming in and trying to meld with the pitching staff with just two months to go. What have you heard? Yeah, that's really hard to do. Let's look. The Rays are so desperate for another hitter, at least to me. Uh, even though they got David Peralta, I think they would put Wilson Contreras behind the plate and say, we'll, we'll figure this out. And yet the Rays win because of the, all the little things that make them better. And that's the coordination between the catcher and the pitcher. And if that doesn't work and their only real strength right now, their pitching is limited somehow because they don't have the right catcher. Maybe he goes somewhere else. The, the Astros catching has been so weak offensively. Can you imagine Dusty Baker adding Wilson Contreras to that lineup? I think Dusty's the type that would say, look, we'll give up a little bit on framing here to get that guy's bat in the order. And they're hitting under 200 last I checked as, as a unit, the catchers in Houston. That might make them a World Series champion if they were to get Wilson Contreras. I understand the defense, but every once in a while you got to say, this guy's going to hit a bunch of homers when he shows up. Jacob DeGrom will return to the Mets rotation on Tuesday against the Washington Nationals. It'll be more than a year, Tim. About a year and a month is his last outing in the big leagues. What do you expect? I'm really confused as to what to expect. Every time he goes out there, I expect him to be dominant because he's great. He's one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. But you take a year away from this game, and now you're pitching on the biggest stage with all this pressure in the middle of a pennant race. I don't know what to expect. But my guess is he's going to pitch. He's going to pitch four or five innings. He's going to be really good and they're going to get them out of there. I know I've talked to people with the Mets, and they don't know what to expect just because it's been so long. Buster, this is the hardest game in the world to play. You take a year away from it, and something as fine as the art of pitching, who knows what they're going to get. But he's throwing 100 in the minor leagues. If he's throwing 100 in the big leagues, he's going to pitch four or five really good innings, and then we'll see how he feels on Wednesday. 
Michigan State. Yeah, the thing I'm really curious about uh, when he comes back is what uh, Jacob DeGrom are we going to see? Because I know, and you, you know, that uh, last year it started to be this rumbling of conversation of, boy, you know, maybe throwing 100 miles per hour on every pitch isn't a good idea for him. Maybe he should dial it back a little bit. I think there, you know, there are other folks in the Mets organization who believe that could be better. I bumped into Kevin Plowecki, who's a longtime friend and teammate in the Mets organization. Now Kevin's now with the Red Sox, as you know. And he just smiled at that theory. He goes, nah, he's way too competitive to do that. I, I don't I don't know if you saw a video of his uh, his last minor league start when he got knocked around. He gave up a couple home runs, four runs in, uh, in four innings. What really jumped out at me, Tim, was how little effort there was in the delivery. And that may have been... I'm sure it probably was by design, but he looked like he's thrown about 70, 80%, and it was just so different looking. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, are we going to see the DeGrom that's come out breathing fire and throw five innings of 100 miles per hour and dominate everybody, or are we actually going to see a pitcher who's now in his mid-30s trying to make an adjustment and dialing back in an effort to stay healthy? I'm with Kevin Ploiecki on this. I'm not sure he's capable of not competing at 100%. I think when you throw 100, you go out there and you want to throw 100. You don't want to throw 92. That's not good enough. You know, we, we tell great center fielders, we don't want you to run into the wall, so don't play as hard. They can't do that. We tell hitters, look, cut down on your swing. We don't need you to try to hit a home run on every pitch when a lot of guys still do that no matter what. I think it's really hard to take a tremendous athlete, wildly competitive, and say, don't try as hard. I don't think it works that way, and I don't think it'll work that way with Jacob DeGrom. I think he's breathing fire, as you said. I think he's throwing 100 until he comes out. Yeah, I I. I would love to watch that outing, but that's going to be right after the trade deadline. And I think I'm, I'm going to like be recovering at that point. <laughs> you will too. Maybe that'll be nice. We guys sit, sit back and watch a ball game and not worry about where Juan Soto is going to be traded. All right, Tim, I will see you on the desk tomorrow. Okay, Buster, travel safely and try to get some sleep. So glad you got a room there. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jesse Rogers covers baseball for ESPN. And Jesse, that means waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for all these trades to evolve. What's going on? I think it's your normal, we're waiting for prices to come down situation. And also, obviously, the Juan Soto situation complicates things as well. For example, if the Padres trade for Juan Soto, they're done. That's it. They've got no prospects left. But if they don't trade for Juan Soto, They've got um, their fishing rod in the, in, the, in the water, so to speak, on a lot of deals. And so I think we're waiting on, on both ends. Um, I have my doubts about Soto going to the Padres. I, I kind of think it's the Dodgers or bust, but we'll see. So I think there's a few factors, but we'll see a flurry of deals over the next 24 to 36 hours for sure. I actually think that we are going to get a wave of deals. Um, now, at the end of it, you, you might have casual fans say, where's the beef? Uh, you know, to draw something from the line from the 1980s where they're going to look at it and say, hey, it, last year's trade deadline, we had 10 all-stars traded. This year, you know, up until the, the moment you and I are talking now, there have only been two all-stars from 2022 traded. Uh, they might not feel like that there's necessarily the big star power but I do think they're going to be a, a number of deals, especially involving relievers. What's your sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every year is different, but I think um, I was talking to an executive the other day, adding that third wild card has had somewhat of an impact here. More teams are in it. And this is what the executive said, Buster. Even if you're not in it, but you kind of like your team and you think, well, maybe we could challenge for that third wild card with a 500 record next year, you're not ready to unload. So I think there's been some consequences of adding that wild extra wild card in each league at least uh, until the very end here like for example maybe san francisco talks themselves into to keeping all their guys because they're not that far out of it or or maybe at the last minute they do end up selling obviously boston has has changed so at the very least i think teams are kind of waiting things out to the last minute but i do think the extra wild card is having an impact on 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 the deadline and and it's, again, teams thinking, well, if we're not in it this year, we keep our team as is, maybe add on the edges. We might be in it next year. So I asked executives on Sunday uh, again, as I've been doing for the whole month of July, and I'm sure you have too, do they believe that Juan Soto is going to be traded? And I continue to get yes. Uh, and they continue to you know, cite what we've talked about you know, dating back to May that it feels like that the Washington ownership situation might be driving this conversation. Um, it, uh, reports have this, uh, this talk between the Nationals, other teams down to three teams, the Dodgers, Padres, and Cardinals. You say Dodgers are bust. Tell me why. Well, let me start with saying as the moment this, this became public, I thought of St. Louis. This is the first team I thought of even more so than because they, 
absolutely do have the major league and minor league talent to do it. I don't think San Diego has that combination, but I do think the Dodgers have it. And let's face it, when the Dodgers want something, they usually get it. But I think Mike Rizzo would have a nice little face-off between St. Louis and L.A. when it comes to both major league talent combined with top-end prospects. Those are the two organizations that I think could do it. You know, Buster, I had someone tell me yesterday, an agent, I, I, it was, say, suggest Cleveland. Cleveland has enough to get it done. Uh, and I said, what are you, crazy? They're not doing that. I said, why not? Three, three uh, pennant races. They're already in one right now. But let's face it it, it, it usually does come down to a team like the Dodgers. We saw it, Mike Rizzo and jo- John Mazalock in the same suite the other day, and everyone went nuts. So I wouldn't shock me if it was St. Louis. But I feel like do- the Dodgers can weather, you know, sort of this kind of a deal in the middle of a pennant race and potentially sign him long term. So I'll, I'll uh, you know, just uh, kick around some of the things I've heard about each of those teams. One with the Cardinals. Some of John Mazalock's peers have told me, look, I, I you know, and they're all saying things along these lines. They don't think that John is someone who is going to step up and make a massive prospect dump for one player because they feel like the Cardinals are in a commanding position in the National League Central. When you see the Cubs going through a rebuild, the Brewers have limited resources, the Reds are now, you know, they're not going to be relevant for a long time. The Pirates might be competitive next year, but the thought is is that Mazalock just will not have the stomach to unload a lot of players who, by the way, doesn't fit their primary need, which is for a starting pitcher. What do you think? Uh, I agree with that 100%. And that's why I thought of St. Louis, but kind of like in the at the end of the day, are they really going to do that? And you're so right. They could trade for Juan Soto. It would be their only deal, and they wouldn't go far because pitching dominates in October, and they don't have enough of it unless Jack Flaherty gets healthy out of nowhere. So I'm with you. This pennant race for St. Louis is really about pitching more than Juan Soto. The Dodgers, you're right. You know, they could theoretically uh, fill a, uh, you know, a a truckload. uh, They could create a truckload of prospects that they could trade to the Nationals. Jeff Passan wrote today about how they probably have more depth in their pitching to make a Soto trade. And we've been accustomed to the Dodgers making major trades. You Darvish, Manny Machado, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer. Jesse, they also have a massive lead in that division. And, you know, coming up, they if they trade for Juan Soto, then the conversation immediately begins, will they be the team that gives him the contract that starts with the number five? I, if my gut instinct on this thing is, the Dodgers are hanging in it to push the Padres. They, they're reading the market and they're saying, you know what, the Padres in the end are going to wind up paying uh, the highest price for Soto. And so we want to just posture uh, and uh, drive up the number for the Padres, drive up the prospect hall going the other way. What do you think? I just, I just wonder if San Diego actually has enough to do it without completely depleting their farm. They don't have major league talent like the Cardinals or Dodgers do that's already started their clock. Obviously, the, Mike Rizzo doesn't want a guy that's on his third year. Um, but I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think that the Dodgers would do it because they aren't thinking about just this year. They're thinking about the next five. This is how they keep things going. So I, I'm not sure it's posturing. They don't have to sign them. They could keep them for two and a half years and, and, and unload them or let them walk. Um, although I think they would try to sign them. Uh, I, I feel like it, 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 
to me, it still feels like the Dodgers. In fact, I'm still in the minority that Mike Rizzo might just take this to the winter meetings. And all of a sudden, when you go to the winter meetings, Buster, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, they no longer have 10-game leads. Not that the Mets have one now. But you know what I'm Houston, now you, you truly do bring everybody back into the mix because I do think the pennant race changes things. It gets some teams maybe a little desperate, and that's what Mike Rizzo is hoping for, but also kind of pushes some teams out that are like, I'm not ready to do this. Uh, well, Tim Kirchner said it yesterday. This is a six-month deal. Now, now you want me to uh, have it done in two weeks? So I'm not completely convinced it happens. The reason I do ha- still feel like it might is it's just become so public. I don't think Mike Rizzo or Scott Boris allows this to become so public if this was going to go to the winter meetings, because this hangs over a team and a player's head for a while. So maybe, maybe it will happen. I'm still putting the Dodgers number one. Well, and Mike Rizzo, you know, has answered the question. Uh, he did a radio interview last week in which he, you know, was asked, hey, are you under a mandate uh, by ownership to make this deal? He said, no, that's not the case at all. Um, he also said two months ago that they weren't going to trade him. Right, <laughs> so right, right. Who knows where the truth lies there? But that's the key question behind the scenes. What has he been told to do? It might be that, you know, all this conversation with executives trying to guess as to whether or not he's going to be traded. If he's actually under orders to make the deal, then obviously it, it's going to happen and he's not going to have right. a choice as to whether to do that. And you're right. In theory, if he could wait, he could be sitting there in January with the Yankee team that just lost Aaron Judge to another team uh, in free agency. And maybe the Yankees, you know, they have a different context. And maybe they look at Juan Soto in a different way. And, you know, as great as Judge has been, let's face it, Soto long-term might fit the Yankees better because he's a left-handed hitter and he's seven years younger. And I'm not convinced the Mets and Steve Cohn don't get involved in at some level just because he's the shiny new object. So, um yeah, I, I, that's, you know, remember, people know, you people in the game know this. July is also about feeling out things for December. I think that's what's going on with Otani, for example. This is a little different with, with ownership, maybe giving him his marching orders, but um, you never know. Uh, you start something in July, you finish it off in December or January. It, 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 it's either holding things up here or, or it's, it's going to happen and there's going to be a, you know, a flood of other trades with other teams as soon as it does. Let's muse just for a moment, just for fun. Cause I, 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 you know, no matter where Juan Soto goes, he obviously is a perfect fit and you love to put in, you know, what their lineup would look like. If he goes to the Cardinals, how much fun it would be oh. uh, for Ali Marmol to draw his name up between that of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. If he goes to the Padres, you know, to put his name in between uh, Tetsis Jr. And Manny Machado, that would be cool. Put him in that Dodger lineup. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's sick. It's sick. And back to the Cardinals, you know what they like to say when they trade for someone? Hey, they like some of these guys fall in love with St. Louis, and they end up resigning. We saw that with Goldschmidt. Who knows? Maybe Soto finds a home there. You never know. But you go to L.A., you find a home there, too, because they have all the money in the world. So, look, you put a – Texas, you know, put them in Texas between Seager and Simeon. Like, put them anywhere, but put them in Chicago between Luis Robert and uh, Eloy Jimenez, right? I mean, he's he fits in, in, in any lineup and makes them so much more dangerous. Um, uh, I think you wrote it and talked about it, generational because of the age. You know, you just don't get a guy like this so accomplished at such a young age on the market. It's amazing. Yeah. Andrew Friedman and I'll – I'll, and I, at this point, I'm just guessing, but I still think Andrew Freeman in the end 
doesn't want to pay twice for Soto, and that's what he would have to do. He would have to give up a boatload of prospects. He got Mookie Betts on this ridiculous, as it turns out, this ridiculously uh, a bargain uh, handed to him, uh, and that would not be the case with Soto. He would have to give up a huge portion of his of his farm system. I, my instinct is I just don't think he's going to do it. I think he's just goosing A.J. Preller and trying to drive that price. But we'll see. We'll, we'll yeah. see where it goes. Yeah, let me, uh, let me mention one thing about the Mets. Uh, the tax would be enormous. You know, the, the yeah, trade they're not tax. Involved, yeah, yeah. They're, so, the Nationals aren't so, going to trade him in right. the division right now. <laughs> it would, it would you know? take the, the, the usual deal plus two more prospects to trade within the division. You get that in the division tax. Okay, go ahead, Buster. Yeah, no, I was going to say maybe in the wintertime, but now I can't yeah. see. No, yeah, goodness. not even then probably. Not even in the wintertime probably. But anyway. Yep. All right, uh, Carlos Rodon, I saw him in San Francisco last night. He pitched great, albeit it was against the Cubs. <laughs> that is a really thin lineup, but he was spectacular. Uh, obviously, I think after everybody saw the high price that the Seattle Mariners paid for Luis Castillo the other day, it makes sense to me to take Rodon out into the trade market if you're the Giants or kind of hanging on the fridge of the wild card. But the more that I talked to people yesterday, Jesse, I, the more I, I don't think they're going to trade him. Uh, you know, he potentially could be a free agent at year's end because he can opt out of his deal. But here's the thing. When's the last time the Giants went full-blown sell mode? Like, they just don't do it. And we were at the ballpark last night. It's packed. You know, the fans are excited. Rodon is one of the – on a team that right now is looking for headliners – He's, you know, potentially as uh, in one of the two most impactful pitchers they have. I think it's more likely they just keep him and then try to sign him to a longer-term deal, blow up his old deal, and try to work something else out. What's your gut? Well, there's three teams they think of that almost never sell, and San Francisco is one of them. St. Yep. Louis is the other. And if you can believe it, Colorado is the third. They just they don't really rebuild there. In fact, they sign their closer, which is a strange thing to a two-year strange. extension. Yeah, but they don't sell, so you have to respect that. In some, you know, they don't strip it all down. They also don't win much. But anyway, um, look when when you have three wild cards and there's five teams for those three spots, and you're four games out and you haven't been healthy. I mean, the job is to get in, and we saw Washington, we saw Atlanta get in and win it. I don't think this Giants team can win it all, but every season is sacred. That's quoting Theo Epstein. You're four out of the wild card without, without Crawford in the lineup, you know, with other major injuries. Uh, you have two guys in concussion protocol. I, I could absolutely see them keeping them. And, and maybe last night was sort of the game that convinced them in general. They played a really clean game again against the Cubs, but he was great. The team was great. Um, and this is with all these injuries. So you can make a case that they could sneak into that third wild card. And you're right. They don't have a history of, of doing these things. Um, I, I actually wrote something for ESPN.com today. I suggested a, a trade which would allow them to still compete and do something to add to their future. I said, how about trade Jack Peterson to the Chicago White Sox, who are desperate for a lefty, for A.J. Pollock and a prospect or two? Pollock still lets you compete if you're the Giants, and you get something back in case you don't end up winning it. Sox are in the win mode now. Giants are in the, we're trying to win, but we're thinking about the future too. So in general, I could see the Giants doing both, making a couple trades on the fringes or maybe bigger than that while still trying to compete for that wild card. And and there is a lot of logic that you could build for the Giants to trade Rodon in this moment because he could walk away as a free agent in the fall 
and his value right now is really high because you've got to believe that a team like the Cardinals, uh, you know, the Yankees would be aggressive, and especially with the Cardinals, when you watch the Giants right now, it's an older team. Like, they have this group of older platoon-type players. They need some young position player blood in there, and you know this. The Cardinals are loaded with that. Um, so, you know, we'll see, but, uh, again, the history is, is that they don't do those type of deals. They don't, they don't blow up the team. They don't give up in midseason. Farhan, as you know, his formative years were spent with the Oakland athletics who, you know, it, it, while right now their owner may have taken their payroll down to nothing and they might be tanking right now in the past, they didn't like Billy Bean famously worked to compete every year. Uh, even when, uh, you know, they were, had, you know, such a, a minuscule number of resources compared to some of the other clubs. All right. So let's go rapid fire through some of the other possibilities. Uh, I think, uh, Wilson Contreras last night played his last game with the Cubs. David Robertson, I think it's moved before the deadline. He might have the highest volume of bidders going after him because of his versatility. I talked to him. He just wants resolution. Tell me what you think is going to happen with some of the Cubs guys. Well, I do think you've heard these reports. There, there'll be a package, um, a couple of them together, maybe starting with Wilson Contreras, who's a two-month rental. Um, Ian Happ has that extra year. There's Michael Givens. There's Scott Efros, who I think is going to be on the move. And it, as you mentioned, Robertson. Um, last year, they did well trading Baez, Bryant, and, and Rizzo, uh, but maybe not for top, top end, although there's a few guys in the minors having good years. If they can package – a couple guys to San Diego, that's where you get maybe a number one prospect. Um, I don't understand why Cleveland isn't involved in Wilson Contreras, at least known. They have a terrible hitting situation from catcher. They have a chance to win that division. They have a pitching infrastructure that I don't think Wilson Contreras is going to ruin, right, because he has some warts in terms of behind the plate. The five worst teams via OPS from from the catching position are all playoff contenders. Houston, St. Louis, actually, they're not going to trade for him. Tampa Bay, and, of course, the Mets are number one. I'd be shocked if he wasn't a Met or a Padre, and and in a package deal. Robertson and Contreras to the Mets, Robertson and Contreras to the Padres. But I think the Mets are going to be most aggressive. You can add a huge offensive bat at a position that you are dead last in baseball in. But there's a few teams on the fringes there. Houston. Boy, if you could combine Maldonado's defense with Wilson's offense, Buster, you'd have a an all all world catcher. So, some some interesting teams that may not catch him every day, but I think the Mets have to be at the top of that list. There was a report yesterday. Uh, I think it was Zach Mizell who reported that the Guardians are talking to uh, Oakland about Sean Murphy, their catcher, and that makes sense to me because I, I think the you know the Guardians really value the the catching metrics when you look at their history of guys that they've uh, brought up to Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes. So that's going to be a focus for them. I wonder if they would pivot to do something for Christian Vasquez, but that would be kind of weird. It's amazing. (laughs) Over the weekend, because the Red Sox have been fading lately, it basically was like, oh, it's over. The Red Sox are going to be sellers. They basically have the same record as the Guardians do. (laughs) I don't know exactly how close they are, but I think one of the complicating factors for the Red Sox is we talk about them selling off uh, is the fact that they owe so many players so much money. Like J.D. Martinez, Red Sox have told other teams, yeah, we'll talk about J.D. in a possible deal. 
Uh, Jesse, he's owed six, seven million dollars for the rest of this season. Nathan Avaldi, you know, in theory, he's out there. He's owed about six million dollars for the rest of the season. You know, and I know, teams are not taking on that kind of money readily this time of year. Well, Cleveland wanted. You know, it would be perfect, like if they needed him. That that JD Martinez seems like he should be on the Dodgers in a pennant race, but they they don't they don't need him, and um, they don't need to spend that money. You're right; it does it does limit. Yankees don't need another right-hander. I mean, say all these lefties that move Buster. Look, the value of left-handed bats, even if they're guys having okay years like Tyler Naquin or David Peralta, they're okay players, but they're so valuable because they're lefties. Um, So his money and the fact that he's right-handed, I think, limit the teams that need him. Uh, Maybe the the Red Sox eat a a few dollars and don't get much in terms of the prospect back. Uh, it, It is interesting, you know, that Boston's had three seasons within one. Terrible, great, and then terrible again. It's made Hein Bloom really have to pivot, and we'll see how much they get done in a, in the next twenty four hours or so. It might be just let's get rid of as much salary as we can and and I sort of start this thing over. Not completely, obviously. If you keep Bogarts and Dever, you know you have a foundation there. But yes, I think San Francisco and Boston are the two kind of most interesting teams late here. You know they've had some failures lately. San Francisco had a seven game losing streak. Boston getting crushed at home here. Um, what do they do? You kind of mentioned San Francisco. Boston's even more intriguing. You, you really can't rebuild there either. So how much do you how much do you trade? How much money do you eat? Those are all good questions. Yeah, I think Alex Spear was the one who wrote a piece in the Boston Globe today about how the Red Sox might try to get under the luxury tax threshold. I think at $230 million. Uh, and they're about seven or eight million dollars away. So if they can shed that salary of JD Martinez and you know Nate Evaldi and, and others, maybe they get under that number. But I have a, I think that's going to be a hard sell in Boston. <laughs> I mean, I, just having lived up there, they're not used to this uh, mentality of uh, hey, we're we're not going to try to pretend that we're a big market team and we're not going to sign players. We'll see how they're all, they're also not used to looking up at the Orioles and the standings. So that that's gotta be a hard pill to swallow as well. Exactly. While Taylor's raising his arms and uh, excitement (laughs) over the fact that the Orioles are in this position. All right, Jesse, thanks for doing this. Uh, Hang in there. You got it. See ya, Buster. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster Bleacher tweets for Amundi. First up, David at Baseball Fan 1918 writes in, which fan bases will be most disappointed on August 2nd at 6.01 p.m. Eastern time for either not getting the big superstar or for not going all in on the rebuild? I think Red Sox fans, first off, I think they're generally not happy with what's going on to begin with. And I don't, as I talked about with J.D. Martinez and, and Evaldi and some, I don't know what you could get in return, uh, all the money that's involved. They seem caught in the middle. And I, and I'm, I don't think the I mean, look, the fan base is not going to be disappointed, but I am curious about what the Orioles do, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you can tell me how you know what you feel at this moment. I mean, I mean, the team has been playing above its head for a while. So this weekend against the Reds, I mean, it wasn't totally crazy that they lost the series. Um, I wouldn't be too crestfallen if they did trade Trey Mancini or Jorge or Lopez, Lopez to yeah. try and get something. You know, it's it's OK. I mean, I, I like that they're competitive, but I understand that this isn't the year that they're they're really going for it. So and and I know that Michael Elias, he doesn't want to start the clock on any of these prospects so they can improve the team with guys they already have, but they're not going to do that. So whatever. 
Yeah. I think it'd be cool if they spent some money and improved the team. That would be fun. It would be really cool. Uh, Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in with judge seemingly hitting another home run every night. Do you expect to see more teams intentionally walk him? I was shocked when I saw he only had six on the season. That is a crazy number. Yeah, that's why I brought it up with Tim. Mitchell, I agree with you. Taylor, what do you think? Oh, uh, aren't you yeah. surprised he's not being a walk more? Oh, my like, God. I'm he's not pitching to that guy. <laughs> and I get it. Rizzo, terrific year. You know, I talked to him the other day. He seemed so happy. He's enjoying his uh, time with the Yankees. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry. Aaron Judge is doing historic stuff. Absolute menace. Uh, Josh, I'm going to botch Josh's name, so I will skip it. But Josh writes in, who decides the rank of prospects within an organization? Would a team ever tag a player with a higher rank to use them as trade bait while keeping a potentially better player as a lower rank? Hell yeah, they would. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, at the, you know, the, the services uh, or the medium uh, sites, you know, Baseball America, ESPN, MLB.com, they do the rankings, but they do it in conversation with executives. And, oh, yeah, there's no doubt. You know, there are executives who will pump up prospects uh, to try to pump up their trade value. That that's They'll, they'll just rave about a guy. Um, and then you'll hear from other people like, well, I don't know about that kid and whether or not he's going to develop. There's a completely different perspective, which is why cross-referencing all these players is so important. We got a uh, burner account here. Hey, Buster at Hey, Buster Pod writes in Nico Horner is quietly hitting 300, 763 OPS and only 34 strikeouts and has a 1.6 defensive war fourth among all players. Haven't heard anyone mention him when talking about potential future stars. Do you think he needs some more love? I want to see more, uh, you know, 763 OPS is not something that you're going to, you know, stop the presses about, uh, you know, to borrow an old phrase. Uh, but and the other thing, too, is that I think part of the reason why he's not getting a lot of attention is because the Cubs, Cubs are a hard watch these days. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We just saw him on Sunday Night Baseball. That is a thin lineup, <laughs> and maybe Nico stands out in part because of that. Does that make sense, Taylor? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're a tough watch. I watched a little bit of the game last night, but it wasn't really doing it for me. Andy Felt at Felt Andy's up next. He writes in, Buster, how badly do the Dodgers need to make a splash for a legitimate closer? At some point, the Dodgers have to be honest about Keg- Craig Kimbrell as he has been awful this year and will cost them games in the playoffs. I think they need to build in safety nets. Um, I, I think you go into the late part of the season as they did in, in some years with Kenley Jansen, assuming he would be the guy. But I think you have to have an open mind if he continues to struggle. Tevi Troy at Tevi Troy writes in Aaron Judge is on an insane tear. His last 14 games, you've spoken about the disproportionate number of bad strike calls against him by the umpires. Is there any evidence that the he that he's been getting better calls during this period? I will take a look. Uh, I have not specifically looked at that data. Um, but there's no doubt for, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. The umpires really struggle with it. And I got to give Aaron credit. I remember once asking him about, you know, why he doesn't just go off on umpires because he just, there's so many missed calls against him, but I think he, it comes down to, he's like a really nice guy and he just doesn't want to chastise him too much, but you can see from his expression when he thinks it's a bad call. And oh, by the way, Aaron Boone is picking up the fight for him over and over and over mm-hmm. again. We've seen that. Yes, indeed. Last one for today. LGM at Neil LGM rates and Buster. You've said the Red Sox low ball Devers by offering him a similar contract to Matt Olson. Are they with They are within a hundred career at bats of each other. During that time, Olson has 30 more home runs, higher OPS plus 133 versus 126. Why should the money be so different? 
Devers is three years younger. And this year, his adjusted OPS plus at age one at age 25 is plus 166. Olsen is an all-star. His is at 129. Based on those numbers, based on the age, which player would you invest more money in? It's not close. There you have it, LGM. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And remember, no show tomorrow morning. We're going to get you one after the trade deadline oh, in yeah. real life. Very excited for this, Buster. Going to be a big day tomorrow. It's going to be a big day. Travel back to Bristol, do the trade deadline show, which starts at 4 o'clock after we have a game tonight. Red Sox and Astros, if you get a chance, see that. I think that's 8, eight o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and then we'll see. Will Juan Soto land with another team? That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Jesse, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.